I don't need it, but you know, this stuff goes out all over the world. And you know, if I say something helpful, I'd like it to be that. Um, you know, I don't think there's a moment in which we're not practicing or learning. Kika, don't go far away. No, okay. <laughs> Well, we're not actually taking a break, so we'll test it on the on the okay. in the right. doing. But um, I, no, I was going apropos of, for those people who are just starting the tape, we uh, to listen. Um, by the way, I feel good that we do this, and then it goes out on the tape because Dharma Seed gives their tapes free to everybody, far and wide. And I, so the fact that we meet and talk Dharma together goes out all over the world. And may it be helpful to all beings everywhere. So apropos of that we've just talked about in our prayers, who we think about and who, who, who engages our heart, one of the things that I feel so clearly when we sit together in a contemplative mood and people are just quiet and people here or there or there or there, say I'm thinking about my neighbor or my daughter or my cousin or my father and I'm not looking and I, I, you know, it doesn't matter if I did but I think we're mostly just listening and sometimes I recognize a voice because it's a friend of mine and I know that so and so and so and so but mostly I don't and I, I hear a name of somebody who's got something I hear a name of somebody else who's got something and I don't know the person but then I hear what's going on with them and it evokes a response. You're thrilled that this person had a baby successfully or that their biopsy is negative. And you feel about the person where something didn't happen successfully or their biopsy wasn't negative. And sometimes when I know who it is who said this happened to my husband or my neighbor or my daughter, I say, oh, that's so-and-so. But sometimes, mostly, I don't know who said it. But you still feel, oh... And my guess, and that's why I'm saying this to you, is that you feel that as well, don't you? That is what I really fundamentally base my optimism in human beings pulling out of this life, saving the planet, saving each other. I think fundamentally, if we aren't confused, when we aren't confused, we really are moved by the plight of other people. We really care about other people. And I'm... Um, on the one hand, you can say that all these protests are happening and all these uh, fearful news we're hearing about the planet and the climate change. They are alarming things that are happening. But I think the fact that they're all more and more out there are arousing more and more people. And at, the, at some critical moment, I think that people will say, let's take care of each other. By the way, when I've been teaching... And sometimes, sometimes I think when I'm in the middle of a very serious thing that I've talked about and I've become maybe a little bit too heavy and I want to say something that lifts people's spirits, I say, you know, if we only had the ultimate tweet, you know, if the, the ultimate 140 characters that would somehow raise up the world and then if we could get Mark Zuckerberg to tweet that tweet, he's got... 1.3 billion people on his radar, on his mailing list, on his something, he could say, peace is possible, let's do it. And, and he'd even have more characters to, you know, how. Let's take care of each other. But I, I really seriously think that's the way it's going to happen. Enough people are going to be moved about what are we doing to ourselves. Sometimes I think we should just sit here and talk about, say out, the people that we're concerned about, as if we didn't know that really people are so heroic. All of us are concerned about people, and here we are anyway. No, not anyway. Here we are also. I think trying to, um, for myself anyway, trying to be able to uh, not get away from my truth, but sit with my truth in some amount of balance, to be able to hold it with the wisdom 
uh, these things happen to people and also hold it uh, in such a way that it evokes in me uh, not dismay these things happen, but really inspiration. They happen to everybody. Maybe I could be kinder. I think about when you walk down a hallway in an emergency, in, a, in an ICU ward, and everybody's in their rooms as you go along and worrying about that person. It evokes in you the desire to be quiet and to wish them well. You know, you really feel all, all of a sudden. I keep sifting in my mind what I want to talk about first because here we have the, we're going to watch the um, video. I was thinking on my way home yesterday, what do I want to teach tomorrow? I just flew in yesterday and I'm thinking about what do I want to teach tomorrow? And I do want to teach about John McCransky awakening through love and the idea of how do we keep our hearts in a loving place, wishing war well to all beings, especially when we're frightened or tired. Yesterday was a frightening, well, it wasn't a frightening day, it was a tiring day because of my plane being three and a half hours late and the airports are crowded and the airplane is out of meals by the time you think to order yours and it's so crowded. And uh, every time I go to the restroom in the back, somebody next to me starts a conversation about eight people in first class have one toilet and we only have two for 80 people and this isn't right. So, but everybody behaves themselves, you know. In spite of the fact, I think to myself, everybody could get riled up, we could have mayhem on the plane, but they all sit there, packed in way too tight and keep it together. I have tremendous esteem for everybody to be able to do that. I was really admiring that and the flight attendants who have to deal with that and walk down a ridiculously thin, narrow aisle. So I was looking for what to perk up my, my mind. Uh, so I'll tell you what I, what a, a thing that I read in John McCransky. If I can find it, I'll read it to you, but I'll tell you this story first. The, the thing that I read in his presentation about how to make your, the first instruction he gives for how to make your mind um, buoyant, how to open your mind to the experience of loving all beings, is he said, try to, try to do this. He said, uh, often we think, uh, he said, think about the people who have helped you in your life. So this I'm going to engage you in as well, because I was going to ask you a question. He said, think about the people who have helped you in your life. In uh, traditional loving kindness practice, we think of ourselves and wish ourselves well, but then right away we think about someone in the category of benefactor. And often we think about, oh, uh, our grandmother, for whom we could not do anything wrong, who always was there for us, or uh, our great aunt, who was always there, or uh, the biology teacher in high school who noticed that you had a talent and gave you extra books to read and encouraged you about where to go to college. and became a mentor to you in your life. So you can remember people who actually changed the course of your life because they were significantly involved in it over time, enough time to be called a benefactor. And John McCransky goes along and he says, there are so many other benefactors that you could think about. Every day, he said, dozens of benefactors, people who carry a suitcase up the stairs in a, in a train station where the elevator isn't, uh, isn't working, or people who uh, help you on with your coat when you're struggling to get your arm back into the sleeve, or people who help you in small ways. So I either read that exactly after I had the experience, I'm not going to tell you now, or before, but like a minute little experience, but I've, it's, I, I've been using it to keep my mind in a cheerful way, or to try to keep my mind in a cheerful way, mostly happily. For Since three days ago, three days ago I traveled. I was on the East Coast for two and a half weeks, and I went from New York City up to Garrison Institute near West Point and back to New York City and uh, down to um, Washington, D.C. again to teach and then back to New York City, 
and then back home yesterday. A lot of flying and training around. And when I was coming back to New York City from, from Washington, uh, I had a suitcase. My suitcase rolls, so it's not too difficult. It's one of those ones that you don't even have to drag. It rolls. So, it's, so I roll it out of the train, the Acela, when I get to Penn Station. And I uh, roll it to an elevator because I think, oh, there's a, there's a flight of stairs. But they, the elevator was right there. I roll it to the elevator. I go up. Penn Station is a completely overwhelming place to be with millions of people in millions of directions. So it's easy to think, ah, or you think, look at all these people going everywhere. And I'm doing that as a practice. Look at all these people and look at me. And I could, I could have easily been thinking, I watch my mind start to think it's chronic thought. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You know, you're too old to be schlepping your suitcase through the Penn Station. Say, home. why are you right? Why did you make this plan to go to Washington, D.C. instead of staying in New York? It would be slaughtered to stay in New York. So I have a mind that falls possibly into recriminating myself about, ah, you shouldn't have done this. So I have to watch that, and it starts to do that. I say to myself, look at all these people going places. This is great. And me going places with them. Terrific. I'm doing it. And I, I thought so much about how you create your own reality by what you think. You really have to think about what is the message that I'm giving to my mind. I, I mentioned the last time that I found a, a T-shirt, that's a, a sweatshirt that says, an old, old sweatshirt, it says, try meditation, it's not what you think. So I want to say, try meditation, it is what you think. And you actually have to look and catch on to what you're thinking. Because I think we feed ourselves unconscious messages all the time. Apropos, well, we'll see if we talk about it. I know Donald was talking about racism last week. And probably great. I actually didn't have the Adobe attachment to listen to it. I was meant to, but I will by next week. New York is a very diverse uh, community. So one of the things about Penn Station is you look around and you say, this is great. Everybody is here in Penn Station. Look at this. The whole world is in Penn Station. And it's so crowded. It could be mayhem, but it's not. It's great. And everybody is helpful. Everybody's going around. But in the meantime, I'm pushing my suitcase from one end of Penn Station, trying to find the signs that say, how do you get to the number one train? Because I'm now going to transfer to the subway. And all of my friends have told me, don't take the subway. Just go out, get a cab, and come. But I think to myself, nah, I can do the subway. I can do the subway. Look at me. I can do the subways. I have to see, what is my reasoning behind this? The reasoning behind this is I'm telling myself a great story about how great, you know, look at me. I can do the, tra the subway. So I push all the way down to the end, following the signs to the number one train. And I see that the stairway to go up is quite steep. But now I see that there's an elevator over there. So I go behind the, the all the people are going right up the stairs. I go behind and I get in the elevator with two women who are probably my age with canes. So I think to myself, huh, I'm in the elevator with people with canes. But, ah, this is not a cane. This is just a luggage. You know what I mean? and, I, and then I think to myself, you know, what do I, what, you know, obviously my mind is doing this because I'm thinking I'm in the elevator with old women. Nobody even knows me. I, and suppose I was in the elevator. I am an old woman. This is what my mind does not want to see. So I'm telling myself, relax. They have canes. You have a suitcase, you know. So I'm, I'm riding up with them to the number one train. So what is it? Maybe 15 seconds in that elevator? One of these women with the cane looks at me and says, where are you going? Uh, uh, so we're all going to the number one. I said, well, I'm going uptown. I'm going to 72nd Street. And she said, oh, OK, good. Listen. When you get off at 72nd Street, the elevator is way at the end of the uptown end of the station. And so I thank you very much. We get off. They go some. They get on the train. I get on the train. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay. I get off at 72nd Street. Everybody is rushing up all these different stairwells. And I am pushing the suitcase down the subway station. And... Uh, 
here's another flight of stairs, another flight of stairs, another flight of stairs. Come to the way end where it's already getting a little dark because it's in the end of the station, and there's an elevator. Okay, I push it, I get in. It's a really dark little elevator with cage doors. It's the kind of thing that you see in thriller movies that people get <laughs> people get locked in or caught or. And it's 15 seconds between floors, maybe, maybe, maybe 10. But it's enough time to look around and think, this is a squalid elevator. And besides, what if it stops between floors? What if it gets stuck? Is there, what will I do then? Then it opens, and I go out. And I step out, and it's fresh air, and I'm 72nd Street. And I thought to myself, that was great that those women told me about that elevator. You know, I would have been looking for it for a long time was hard to find, and it was great that I got on it, and here I am. And look at that dance that the mind does to keep your confidence bucked up. It's telling you, but you don't need a cane. You are pushing around. Well, I do need, you know, even without the, I mean, I can walk up the stairs, but, you know, maybe in a year or two I won't be able to. I watch how my mind is all the time busy creating a person who's more sure of herself and more safe and more competent and more whatever than I actually am. And certainly more young and dynamic and everything else. <laughs> and I think to myself, there was a, there was a, um, years ago I heard someone quote a certain philosopher. It was Joseph Goldstein who was quoting Wei Wu Wei who said, if there's anyone at home to suffer, they will. <laughs> so you have to think about that. It means, to the extent that ego is running the show here, to the extent that there's something here that has a story that it has to keep telling yourself, keeping you bucked up, you are, you are vital, you are capable, you're ter whatever it is, they have to stay busy all the time to keep you assured that that's who you are. And it's the busy that actually is the suffering. Because all the time that I'm doing those machinations, where is the elevator, even without the stuff about old, young, I am thinking, where's the elevator? I might have, if I can't find one, I'll have to do the stairs. It's not a huge worry, but it's a worry. And anytime there's anything that occupies the mind, anything, worry, annoyance, mostly annoyance, worry, annoyance, uh, the uh, lust, but that also worries us, because what if I won't get this met, this lust? They're all each other, I've decided, all those hindrances. But that's another morning. I've really decided they're all each other. And they all hang on not reacting to them with negativity. They, they all arise all the time, this or that. I feel like having that. I don't like this. I'm nervous about that. But that's not a problem. That continues to happen, I think, as long as we live. What could continue to happen as long as I What could continue to get better is I could watch that happen, and it could not make very much of a difference. Could say to myself, look at your mind running around doing all this stuff. Look at your mind, what it's doing. But it could be fun to look at it. Say, look at that, look what you're doing. Because the moment, here's, here's really the kicker of the whole thing. The moment that I stop doing all that, which is all one form or another of, of um, self-preoccupation, in that moment, my attention is freed up to look around and say, this whole world is full of people and including that woman who told me about the elevator. And the whole weekend, I've been thinking about that woman who took it upon herself to tell me about that elevator in that 10 seconds. And she has been my benefactor. For the whole three days, I've been thinking about that woman. She had very henna hair. She was not dressed. She was just, she wasn't me. But she was extremely helpful to me. And I really loved her every time I thought about that. She didn't have to say, the elevator is at the end. But she did. She was not all self-preoccupied. She was looking at me. I was looking at me also. <laughs> but in the moment of realizing she was looking at me, she gave me good advice. And the moment of gratitude, then you remind yourself, look at all these people here. And did it all day long yesterday. Every time my mind thought, ah. Oh, I should stop traveling. Here I am on this planet. 
you forget that there are people on the plane that I could smile at. I could stop and talk to this woman about her baby and how cute it was. I made her trip better in that moment. I told, uh, I told the flight attendant that I had a friend who uh, flew for United Airlines for 40 years who told me that there was never a terrible incident with the, with the planes over all those 40 years. And it bucked up his mind. He said, I'm so happy to hear that. He was a young guy and probably going to fly for a while. So it was a nice piece of news for him to hear. So when I'm doing that kind of thing, I feel better. Anyway, the whole plan about uh, really looking at negativity in one's own mind and having the, 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 the fundamental... Um, what am I going to call it? Intention. Not to give it airtime, which doesn't mean not seeing it. It says, oh, look, that's there. I can make a bigger mind than that. I can hold that with, I can hold that with loving kindness. But the, the plane was unpleasant yesterday. There's no way of saying that was pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. It was unpleasant. They keep thinking, okay, we'll soon be there. You know what I kept thinking about? I kept thinking about how long it took somebody in a um, covered wagon to make it from Kansas City to, to San Francisco 100 years ago. And I was making it from New York City to San Francisco in six hours. You know, I watched a little map, and, you know, in an hour we went from Kansas City to Denver, you know. And I thought to myself, this is a miracle that I'm sitting here in this metal box and it's flying at 35,000 feet and it's going to land in the right place at the right time and we'll all get off it and there will have been no mayhem in the plane. That's a miracle. But you have to keep doing it because otherwise your body feels tired and when the body feels tired, the mind makes grungy thoughts. It does. <laughs> but, and, the, and the sign is when the mind makes grungy thoughts, you think to yourself, I'm not well. What can I do now? What can I do to pick myself up? Where is my, where is my redeemer? You know, it's, um, it's the season of I know that my redeemer liveth. You know, I, you, know, you know that line out of the Messiah? I have the idea that the redeemer is always next to you. Always. That if you turn to the person next to you and say, wow, this is a really long ride, isn't it? Then they have something else to say and they talk to you. And the conversation pulls you out of your own mind that you just have to give somebody a handle. It's the same as saying, help me out here, I'm having a little difficulty, but you don't say that. You just say, you say anything that causes them to talk a little bit. She was very helpful in certain computer problems I was having. Anyway, this is what I wanted you to think about. Could you think for a minute? You know the story I told you about the woman who said, with, you know, be good, the elevator is at the end of the station. Can you think of something that happened in the last week or year, maybe week, month, year, ever, where somebody did a tiny thing that if you had to tell people, what was a tiny thing that somebody did for you sometime in the list of good things that really made a difference in my life? That, everybody understood the question? Okay, 30 seconds to think about it. How many people thought of something? Anything, little thing. Okay. Everybody find a partner right next to you. In the next two minutes, you tell the partner and they tell you. Ready, set, go. Right after this. Right after this. So you don't have to go. Yeah.
Three people, go ahead, go. Try it out now. So it looks, it, looks, it, it looks to me like, first of all, people had things to say. It also looked to me like it, it was fun. I saw people, was it fun? Yeah. Good stuff. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to suggest maybe uh, John McCransky is saying make a list of tiny, you know, a little list of people that you didn't think about. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I sat here and I looked at you and you, I thought about, I have not thought about this for 58 years, that um, I remember the moment that I was going home from the hospital with my firstborn child and who had been in the nursery. They brought him out so I could feed him, but they didn't give you babies to take care of. They kept them in a baby nursery until you went home. And then they gave me the six pounds of baby, here, go home. And I had to say to the nurse, I don't know how to fold a diaper. So she showed me how to fold a diaper. And, and he, was a, he was six pounds as little, so you have to actually fold really. And I remember being so happy that she did it in such a way, A, I learned, and B, I didn't feel foolish for not knowing how to. And I haven't thought about that in 58 years. I just thought about it. So then I go, so I'm going to make a little list and put that down. If you give the mind a job, find me this, find me that. It finds it, doesn't it? You want to do, just tell me, tell me, let's see, okay, Susan. Well, what's so interesting is that people will tell you the bad things that are happening to them. Yeah. And somehow you hold back saying the good things because you don't want to be bragging or you don't want to. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting. We don't say this wonderful thing is happening or just happening. We kind of keep it a little bit to ourselves and we share the, yeah. share the hard times. So who wants to say another thing that they remembered? Somebody, we'll do three things, go.
looks over to the belt next to us and there's somebody with bananas and she's like, I have to have a banana. <laughs> and I looked and there's like a line behind me and there's a guy with a face like, get out of here. <laughs> and then this woman next to me says, take my banana. Oh. <laughs> now, you know what happened? Now, the best part of that teaching is that everybody said, oh. So if anybody thinks that we do not have that empathic gene, they're wrong. We just disproved it. Tell me another moment. Tell me another moment. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I've spent the last two days in the hospital with my husband who's going through some tests to see if he had a heart attack. And they had taken him to do the radiation injection and all that. And uh, I was just sitting in the room and the nurse walked by and she stopped and came and put her hand on my shoulder and just said, would you like a cup of tea? And then as she was walking out, she turned around and said, your husband's great. <laughs> so we all feel better from that. We all feel better. One more. There you go. I was in 10th grade and not in a very good place and I had a teacher stopped me after class and wanted to talk to me and say, is everything okay? And that period of time, I was ready to commit suicide. Wow. Thank you, actually, for saying that out. You know, and we all stayed quiet because that's, like, everybody has... First of all, everybody realizes the, the sanctity of that sharing. And everybody knows how profoundly, I mean, that clearly that was a life-saving moment. So we all feel glad, but in a different way. Maybe the best way. Maybe the best way, sobered and glad. You know? Because not everybody has that opportunity to get saved. And it also says that you never know what impact of your actions will be. For those simplest of kindnesses. It's also so important these days because it's important every day. One of the things that I, that I feel, I think probably lots of us feel, when we see the, the degree of difficulty that the world is having, having on many levels, um, you know, fundamentally on the level of the earth staying alive, but on the levels of international strife, on the levels of poverty, on the levels of the profound differences in economic well-being on this planet. And a possible thought that one might have in dismay is, what could I possibly do? But you don't know what you could possibly do. You can't fix the whole thing, but you can make a life-changing difference in one or another things in what's near to you. And maybe that's, maybe in some way that's the whole of it, you know, that uh, um, I have over the years been having a more and more profound understanding of the Bodhisattva vow, the suffering is limitless, I vow to end it. Uh, and the beings are numberless. I vow to save all, you know, to relieve suffering. You think, well, you know, I couldn't possibly level it. But I think that means in my heart I could completely be attendant to what presents itself to me where I could make a difference in my world. Thank you very much for all of you for that sharing. The best thing that we do with each other is share. And I feel very lucky to be part of it, be able to be here and do this.
So I'll study some more of this by next week. Let's not do the poem this week. We'll do poems next week when people bring, more people bring, some people bring. So with apologies for this being an infomercial, which one should we show? The first one is what? It's called Caution. Caution? No, it isn't. Uh, that sounds like a bad beginning. Like. Um, I believe it's the one, you're in the car. It's a, it's a snippet. It's oh, no, no, that's a snippet of in the car. No, 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 no. Let's show the loving kindness one. I don't remember it, but so I hope it's a good one. But they're all good. <laughs> I, there's one about electronics. Does it have a list of what they are? Isn't it amazing how we're all sitting here and watching your mind on the computer there? Like she's, she's thinking and, yeah. and we're all watching. We're all watching what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Look at that. It's got a caution sign there, which I certainly didn't put out. And many iterations. Well, let's see. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Also, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of how you sign up for this. Are we sure, Kika? Oh, this one is called uh, Use Caution. Use Caution. Okay. Yeah, but let's not do it. Let's do. Let's do the one that's uh, that says loving kindness. Oh, you were only given to. Well, do the recycling. That's on the website already. So you remember, you already saw that? All right, do the caution one. Do the caution one. Okay. Maybe we'll do both of them. What happened? Anyway, do we know how to sign up for this? Yes, it's online now. And just go to uh, the calendar and look for you. And okay. It starts uh, January 2nd. Okay. It's, um, just look up the date and Sylvia's name. And uh, you can sign up. It's ready. Ta-da. Okay. It'd be great if you do this. Someone suggested that cars should have a sign over the ignition, like the sign on medicine bottles that say, use caution when operating heavy equipment. And I thought to myself, that would be a great thing for manufacturers to install just over the ignition. But the fact is, I don't have one. They aren't installed over uh, ignitions. But the fact that that story is in my mind has installed the story in my mind and truth to tell, I don't think of it every single time I put my key in the ignition. But I do think of it when I'm about to put my key in the ignition and something has just recently roiled up my mind and it's all in a too buzzed up way to drive safely. That my mind is in a too confused way to drive safely. And what I know at that moment is to stop and say to myself, wait a minute, I am operating heavy machinery. Take a breath, take another breath, take a third breath. You need to go, you can't stay home. Most of the time we need to go places. We can't take a break from life just because our mind is somewhat stirred up and confused. We could never do most things. So I can go on and go wherever I want to go. If I say to myself, I need to be particularly alert because my mind is right now not in its best shape, not operating using all of its cylinders. Hey, that's a car metaphor, but that's okay. I'm in my car. So I think of that woman frequently and her story when I'm about to drive. I think it's a good story, so I'm glad I told it to you, and maybe you'll think of it, and maybe you will think of that, of imagining a sign that says, use caution when operating heavy equipment. So now I can drive. That's it. I don't even remember that. There was a much better story before it.
seriously, I was driving. It has to end right now because they didn't get in the car with me. So it's a two minute clip. That's it, the whole thing. Oh, we specialize in mesquite grill. That's it. Well, fully on that. All right, show the other one with the recycling. Maybe that's equally short. Ah, that's what you call a teaser. That's really ridiculous. Okay. This is nice. As all they all start with this. Now we're outside and I brought with me to show you this bag that I brought, a large shopping basket that I keep in my car all the time with all these little sub bags so I'll never be without a bag when I go to a market or into a store. And I, just the other day, taught a class of 100 seniors at a local high school who were interested in mindfulness meditation and mindfulness in general. And when I came in, I said, uh, how many people here know very much about meditation? So not very much, or mindfulness, not very much. But they were all interested in it. They wanted to be there. So I said, how many here think that if you practice mindfulness, you'd be more relaxed? And they practically all put up their hands. And how many people here think if you practice mindfulness, you'd do better in school? And everybody picked up their hands. And it would be easier to study, pick up the hands. And pay attention in class, pick up the hands. And how many people here think if you practice mindfulness, it would make you happier? And then they looked at each other a little bit, and a few people put up their hands, but they hadn't counted on that necessarily in it. And then I said, how many people here think that if you practice mindfulness, you'll be more diligent about recycling? And then they really looked at each other like, this is a trick question, what does she mean by that? And I noticed that one man in the back who I know is a biology teacher, he put up his hand. And people looked around, they saw that cue, they saw that I had put up my hand. And by and by, a few people put up hands. So I said, listen, I want to do a little experiment with you. And this is the experiment that I did with them. I said, wherever you're sitting right now, however you're sitting, you don't even have to change your posture, just relax. Just maybe take a breath in and out and let your shoulders relax. I said, if you want to, you can close your eyes. You don't have to, but if you want to, probably you'll feel your breath a little more clearly if you do. And then I'll talk to you as you continue to sit and listen and feel the breath coming in and out of your body. Breath is such an amazing thing. We need from the moment we're born until the moment that we die to be breathing all the time. And we just do it all by itself, it happens. I think to myself, it's amazing. It's amazing if we're lucky enough to stay healthy. The body knows exactly how fast to breathe, when to slow down, when to speed up. If you go for a run, the breathing speeds itself up. You lie down and relax, the breathing slows itself down. That the body knows how to monitor the oxygen in the body and it pulls in breath when it needs it. The diaphragm moves. Everything happens. The diaphragm moves, the breath goes in. All this tremendous chemistry of oxygen going in and carbon dioxide going out and neurons firing and blood chemistry changing happens every moment and you don't have to do a thing about it. It's really amazing. So as you sit there and you breathe, especially if you've closed your eyes and you begin to feel more relaxed and notice how the breath goes just all by itself for a moment See if you can feel just the pleasure of one plain breath. How easy it is to breathe in and out if we're well. When I do that, I think to myself, this is really glorious being alive in this body that so far is well. It's fantastic 
that my lungs are still in a shape to be breathing me into the next moment of life, one moment after another. And then it's just the slightest mind moment away for me to think my lungs can do this because the world is still green enough for it to do it. I am breathing out carbon dioxide into this world and the world, the green world, is breathing back oxygen for me to breathe. It's just as if we're giving each other artificial respiration, myself and the green world. When I think about that, I think about recycling. I think about keeping the world green. I think about all the other people that I want to recycle as well, because I myself cannot one person keep the world green. We all have to keep the world green together. So I feel myself in the community of human beings, breathing back into the world, being sustained as human beings by all of this green and plants and ferns and grasses and everything that breathes back what we need. I think that they are so linked together, myself, my awareness of my breath, my awareness of being part of a community of human beings on this planet. I can't think that being mindfulness would not increase everybody's desire to keep the planet alive and everybody's desire to keep it green in concert and in community and in companionship with everybody else and everybody's grandchildren and their grandchildren. When I think about that, the community of people that I share the world with now and the worlds of people that will come from us and them and them and them into generations to come, if we keep each other alive, I really think that it's impossible not to think about that and not make a more diligent effort. Thank you very much. I actually forgot that I did that one. You know, there's a little bit of a backstory on that. I'm glad I did it. Um, I don't know if I, well, if I wanted, many, many years ago, many, many, so this couldn't be talking about anybody in recent times, I was at a, uh, maybe a, a Western te Dharma teacher meeting, and people were talking about how to choose a teacher, and it was a time when uh, this is many traditions of Buddhism together, and it was a time, thank you so much for showing the film. It was a time when uh, there was not, um, not everybody had a very good experience with their teachers. Not every teacher was equally trustworthy. Now that's not so. Um, I think we're much more sophisticated about the teacher-student role. But the topic under discussion was how to choose a teacher. And somebody said, well, you really needed to choose a teacher by how skilled they seemed in uh, understanding the philosophy of Dharma, and the understanding of Dharma, the teaching of contemplative practice so that one could personally uh, experience the truths of Dharma. And they said, I, I wouldn't, for instance, rely on my teacher to tell me about whether or not I should get a second mortgage on my house. <laughs> or uh, I wouldn't be interested in whether or not that person recycled. And everybody laughed about it because it seemed like such a, um, maybe it's because we were just getting into the idea of recycling and it was new. Maybe the idea of that comment was, you know, that's the furthest thing that you think about in terms of I'll take care of that myself. But, you know, even then I thought, I'm not sure that I wouldn't want to, I, about the second mortgage, I'm sure I wouldn't ask, but you need expertise, like how to fill out your income tax and all of that. But um, how to keep the world alive, I think is what this is really about. So I hope I didn't say anything bad on, I'm just saying at that point in the greater collective, we did not have such a, um, an awareness, we didn't have such an awareness about how this is really linked to responsibility in the world. That's another way in which Western Dharma has really changed the, 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 the um, I think the, uh, 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 it's not altogether true, but within certain, uh, how do I want to say this without casting aspersion on anybody? Let's do it this way. I think it is more than ever true 
that all lineages of Buddhism, and indeed, probably the the. It's so hard to say something without all comparisons are invidious, so you don't want to make them. I think it's certainly true. I could say about Buddhism that I think it is more true now that uh, the Western Dharma scene includes more emphasis on the impact of practice or the significance of practice towards the maintenance of a healthy world in every way that it could be healthy, like keeping the planet alive, like taking parts of... uh, like ministering to the greater community in ways bigger than uh, how to meditate. Um, If you look now, mindful parenting, mindful relationship, mindful schools, mindful uh, nation, Tim Ryan's book about mindful politics. I wonder whether in my lifetime sometime, uh, somebody's lifetime sometime, they won't change the word mindful or mindfulness, which is, um, it's a hard word, you know. We don't use it in any other aspect of of life. We don't say, I mean, it's not like we could say he's an honest person, he's a this person, he's a wise person. Mindful is not a, a word that we grew up knowing, but thoughtful would be a good word. Thoughtful, especially thoughtful and kindly, kindly and thoughtful. Huh. I'm glad that I'm here for three weeks. We didn't talk about everything I had in mind to talk about, but we talked about a lot of things that were better to talk about than what I had in mind. So it's good. I hope you'll sign up for that course, by the way. I, I just love the idea that we'll be on the phone once a month. For I like those kind of phone calls. And uh, I hope that you think about signing up to be here on January 1st all day, because it's a nice way to have a New Year's Day party from 10 to 4 or something. It's a very... Uh, we'll, we'll practice meditations, we'll sit, we'll be quiet, have a little bit of uh, a, a, a wholesome way to set intentions for the new year. And I'll be here next week. So what, we were going to bring poems if we wanted to, and mostly bring yourself. And for everybody who came new who wasn't here before, come back again. It will be Christmas Eve. So we'll talk about peace on earth, goodwill. Okay. May our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere.